It rained quite heavily all morning in Glasgow, and we found just half a dozen bedraggled protesters here in George Square round the time the funeral was starting in London. Don't you think she did any good? Not a bit of good. Not a bit. I put a stake through her heart and garlic round her neck to make sure she never come back. Is that a pretty horrible thing to say when her funeral's going on right now? Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> Such a breath of fresh air, that Glaswegian woman. Welcome, everybody. Left Reckoning 148. That was just, you know, apropos of nothing other than I saw that clip cross my feed uh, this week. A uh, uh, woman from Glasgow reacting to the death of Margaret Thatcher saying, I'd love to drive a stake through her heart and put garlic <laughs> around her neck so she never comes back. Um, I just, yeah, just to clear the air a little bit. Uh, David, welcome to this episode 148. Yes, sir. No, good energy to start out on uh, today and uh, very happy to be here with you, friend, as always. Oh, man. Um, we got some we got some uh, returning guests uh, today um, in a little bit. We are going to be taking we haven't done a, a kind of good IDW clip in a while, Matt. Um, no, for people for people who are curious, intellectual dork web. That's a Michael ism um, of their intellectual dark web. Right? Uh, Sam Harris, all those folks. When like took a bunch of pictures behind a bunch of bushes somewhere in California. <laughs> was it Barry Weiss who did that? Right, that was Barry Weiss. Yeah. It was a, it, Barry Weiss wrote the feature, even though she's part of the dark web herself. I would say, um, and uh, it's pretty yeah, awesome. It was like, it's funny. It was it's like, funny. Like, like, sorry, man. No, yeah. No, well, just, just like funny, you know, like, like in sorry, just like in like left media sometimes, like we know a lot of you know, we know each other all pretty well, um, <laughs> both in like print and in podcasts and things like that. And there's always this sort of like, okay, well, how can we sort of do any reporting or even publishing, you know, pu like publicizing each other? Well, we have to be careful, right? Because there's a little bit of a fine line between particularly like print. Right, that you don't want to just be writing glowing reviews of your friends, and it's yeah. very funny to just see that. Like, hey, I don't know why the fuck we're even getting worried about this in our small papers and things like that. When the New York Times is letting Barry Weiss just get a professional photographer to take pictures of her friend's dinner party. Yeah, exactly. It's like her friends um, sneaking out of bushes, including some that were accused of pretty stuff in the case of Richard Shermer. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like that's the New York Times, though. It, it was funny, actually. You know, I don't want to get too much into this because we're going to be talking about Michael after 148. But um, a lot of places noticed Michael after he actually was deceased. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, like commentator dies. One giving him any attention uh, while mm. we were actually like, you know, putting the show together. And meanwhile, Ben Shapiro gets called the cool kids philosopher. Like any no. fucking right wing charlatan gets complete pride of place in what's supposed to be the uh, paper of record, but which by the admission of the nepotism case that uh, runs that paper now, I forget his name, uh, but they are a capitalist paper. They believe capitalism mm -hmm. is the best economic system the world's ever seen, and they exist to defend it. Well, anyways, we're going to get in into it in a little bit, talking about um, how a lot of these new atheists are finding God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, really, uh, a, a turn that, I think Dave was the first that I noticed to be like, wait, is he getting religious? Mm -hmm. um, and it was basically his, uh, uh, you know, barnstorming across the country with Jordan Peterson, uh, where it's like, oh, crap, I guess like the entire thing I built my career about that you're stupid if you believe in religion, particularly if you're a Muslim. Well, we need to actually real 
a little bit of that back. The especially if you're a Muslim thing didn't really do as much work as we needed it to. We need to like go flatter Christians uh, and anti-abortion people and uh, Zionists also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, exactly. But anyways, we're very happy to be uh, to, to to be able to spend some time on that. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, we do have uh, just a couple quick things to get to. Uh, one, folks. Uh, don't forget that this is a great time to hook yourself up with some Left Reckoning merch. Uh, we have our Fence Cutters uh, hoodies, um, our new Great Plains t-shirt, our classic Left Reckoning ball cap, um, and our Big Tex tank. It really helps Matt and I out a lot, continue to do this program. Pretty nice um, winter gift or New Year's gift for somebody. They might not be able to get there by Christmas if you order them now, just letting people know. They still might. I just can't guarantee it to you. Um, but it really does help us uh, continue to grow there. So you can get that at leftreckoning.com slash store. And there we go. Look, perfectly pressed. (laughs) There we go. There you go, folks. And it is warm. I can tell you that. I wore it on a cool day walking into work, and uh, I needed to switch into a T-shirt once I got in. So if you you have a cool apartment like I do, uh, it is uh, something you want to add to your collection, I think. And we can get that at leftreckoning.com slash store. And just really fast after the show, immediately, as always, we're going to go to the post game. We'll be taking y'all's questions, voicemails. Matt and I have some fun stuff, Joe Rogan clips, I think, and a couple other things. You get access to that patreon.com slash leftreckoning. Really helps us continue to grow. Um, but I mean, I don't want to front load the show too much. Uh, we have the story we want to get to. We're going to talk about it a little bit after um, our conversation on the IDW. Um, but there is, you know, a kind of anniversary that we are up against. Uh, this is uh, Left Reckoning 148, which for people who watch TMBS uh, know, uh, TMBS's last show with Michael uh, was uh, TMBS 148. Uh, Matt and I are going to take a little bit of time to sort of reflect on that. Um, but just sort of wanted to, uh, you know, acknowledge that going into it. It's a, it's, it's a kind of bittersweet or strange anniversary or milestone. Um, I don't really know how exactly to think about it, but it's certainly on my mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll I, get, I feel the same way. We'll get into that after the interview. Um, but let's let's dive into the show, Matt. You ready? Um, because we have this story, and I'm sure people have heard about this, but we wanted to make sure that we're highlighting it and talking about it on this program, giving a little bit of our analysis on it, um, which is this horrific story uh, right here out of Texas uh, with this abortion law, which is one of the most disgusting, draconian, nasty, hate-filled uh, abortion bans in the country, um, you know, the the way that it not only denies people access to healthcare and medical treatment that they need, um, but also directly puts doctors and healthcare workers under threat is truly disgusting. And we'll get into some of the aspects of that in just a second. Um, but just to sort of set the table, I think most people uh, may have heard about this story, but if you haven't, um, we're going to be talking about Kate Cox, uh, who has been caught into this disgusting net of Texas's near total abortion ban. Now, before we really get into this case, there's just two things I really want to um, establish up front. One is Kate Cox is already a mother of two, wanted to become pregnant and wanted to have this child. But the fetus was diagnosed with Edwards syndrome, um, which made the pregnancy non-viable and also put Ms. Cox at incredible risk to her own health, her life, and her future capacity to have children. That's one. Two, the second thing is that you should not know who Kate Cox is. The public should not know her personal tragedy, her health conditions, 
personal medical conversations with doctors and what she intends to do about this absolutely heart rate wrenching and devastating moment. I mean, I, I, I feel so much uh, for, for this woman and for her family and for everything that they're going through to not only be denied the medical care that she needs, um, but to also be made into a kind of public spectacle. I was seeing today online just like these absolute freaks on Twitter and X commenting on her medical case as if some jackass in Western Michigan, you know, has any right to say or opine about what kind of medical care this woman deserves. It's just a truly, truly disgusting moment. I think you really have to front load that here is that this isn't a story that anyone should be engaged with except for her and her doctor and her family. Right. But we know this. Um, and, uh, you know, we know about this law in Texas. We know about the devastating effects. She's not the first person to be put up into this difficult and dangerous situation by this devastating law here. Um, but we know about this, uh, this kind of aspect of, of, of this law, which is set up, frankly, uh, to punish and harass and humiliate women and, 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 uh, the GOP has been dead set for a long time on denying Americans basic rights to health care. The Democratic Party has played politics with Roe v. Wade for generations. And because the Texas GOP, in addition to being cruel in their intent, are also some of the laziest, thoughtless politicians out there. These guys have regularly struggled to put together a coherent and workable legislation, um, dropping whether or not we think the intent of what they're trying to do is good or bad. They create these kind of laws that are fueled by hatred and bigotry and antisocial reasonings, but they are also become a nightmare in practice, both because, again, the intent behind the laws and the lack of thought when it comes to actually crafting what the text of these laws says. Because like so much of Texas GOP politics, they want to they, they want their law to ban abortions in the state of Texas, but they also want their soundbite too. Right. They wanted to be able to say when asked, oh, no, of course, there'll be exceptions in medical situations. Well, the whole country is watching right now how that is not the fucking case. Just a quick breakdown of the timeline for folks who have been following this. Kate Cox finds out the devastating news that her pregnancy is not viable. In order to comply with this law, her doctor asked permission from the court to provide necessary medical treatment again. Uh, absolutely absurd to having to to be able you know to to be consulting with the court or consulting with exactly the i mean this is the problem is like what this should not this is this is uh this should not involve courts this should not this is a medical thing what and and it's like especially insulting that we don't even have like a state uh right to health insurance like mm -hmm. I, I, like I, it's just fucking appalling like how how often like does the small government party get to play that card when they're the ones putting literal fucking judges between women and their doctors and medical procedures or like, I, I, it's, it's appalling. No, the, the, the denial of healthcare here, the spectacle that comes with something like that is absolutely disgusting. The, the harassment that this person is facing, the harassment that her med the medical professionals around her are facing too, is the jeopardy, the, the health well, jeopardy. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just getting into that a little bit. So a Travis County judge rules that this abortion can happen, that this necessary medical care can happen. And Ken Paxton, again, recently getting out of an impeachment trial, instead of heading to his favorite hotel to get a massage or visiting his mistress under pseudonym, decides to work a bit of overtime this weekend. 
and pleads with the Texas Supreme Court to overrule this Travis County judge and, and continue the harassment of this woman. The Texas Supreme Court rules unanimously that this abortion will be blocked. And now Kate Cox's lawyer has announced that Ms. Cox uh, will leave the state to get the medical uh, attention that she needs. Shame on all of these elected officials from the legislature to the Attorney General Ken Paxton and to the elected members of the Texas Supreme Court for taking the time out of their day with all the things that are happening in this state right now to harass and harm this woman going through one of the most difficult things imaginable. Now, I have a little bit of text here from the ruling from the Supreme Court, Matt, that I was going to read out to folks um, uh, because I think it really highlights, again, the cruelty of the decision from the Supreme Court, um, but also just like the irrationality baked in to this uh, law to ban abortion to save Texas in the first place. Quote, this is from the Supreme Court's ruling saying that, that this woman cannot get an abortion. Quote, a pregnant woman does not need a court order to have a life-saving abortion in Texas full of shit already here, right? Um, our ruling today does not block a life-saving abortion in this very case. If a, if a physician determines that one is needed under the appropriate legal standard using reasonable medical judgment, if Mrs. Cox's circumstances are or have become those that satisfy the statutory exemption, no court order is needed. Nothing in this opinion prevents a physician from acting if, in that physician's reasonable medical judgment, she determines that Ms. Cox has a, quote, life-threatening physical condition that places her at risk of death or poses serious risk of substantial impairment of a major, major bodily function unless the abortion is performed or induced. Already here, we're full of shit. Already here, we're full of shit. Because already a doctor says this pregnancy, one, is not viable, but also poses a direct threat to the health and safety of Miss Cox, um, one to her direct life and also to her future ability to have children. Again, a quote, major bodily function unless the abortion is performed or induced. Now, I'm not a lawyer, Matt, so of course I'm going to go into this with a little bit of humility. Our um, doctors, our doctors, like these folks aren't fucking doctors either. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of exactly the point that we're at in this state. What doctor, yeah. what doctor, or even the even more risk adverse hospital in the state of Texas wants to take on the massive um, penalties outlined in the Texas anti abortion law if a Paxton or the Supreme Court, the Texas Supreme Court, decides to come after them after the fact? The answer is simple. They're not. They're not going to do it because they do not want to face those penalties. And in fact, before the Texas Supreme Court came out with their ruling, the attorney general's office of the state of Texas contacted three different hospitals in the state um, before the Supreme Court made their ruling, threatening them that if they perform medical care on this woman in an emergency situation, they could face dark punishment. So all of this kind of weasel word nonsense that we're getting from uh, the elected Texas Supreme Court here is absolute bullshit. They did note that there is a problem with this law. <laughs> Great. Um, saying, quote, in the ruling, the courts cannot go further by entering into the medical judgment arena. Again, full of shit here. We're sitting it's here. too late. You're already in the arena. You shouldn't be there at all. You should be out fucking side, like looking at the score, like like the fucking um, display board showing the score. But you know, the whole point of this legislation was to put them in the arena. Mm hmm. 100%. The ability to and, ruin the careers. It's not even like they're just in the stands. They're like ready to maim the players. And as and, and they go on to say, the Texas Medical Board, however, can do more <laughs> to provide oh. guidance in response to any confusion that currently prevails. 
again, what fucking world are we in uh, where we're going to sit here and say, um, oh, you know, actually, yeah, you know, the Texas Medical <laughs> Board basically isn't doing enough. Um, look, whatever, put out, put out, you know, put out some uh, guidelines or things like that to help people feel a little bit more confident in providing healthcare, folks. The fucking problem right now is the courts and the politicians. Yeah, but like the existence of like guide, guidelines on this are not necessary in this world. This is not an actual issue where doctors are willy nilly doing abortions, right? Like mm-hmm. this sort of thing shouldn't even. Th- th- this should. There should not be any, there's no extra care needed here. This shouldn't even be a consideration politically. This is something doctors already got fucking covered. And yet, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, so we'll come together with some more guidelines. I'm sure those are going to be friction fl- frictionless. I'm sure those are not going to trip up anywhere and ruin somebody else's fucking life. Well, also, because at the end of the day, the court, because again, effectively, that's what they were doing in this ruling is saying, hey, what we got from this doctor wasn't actually an explicit call that they were saying, oh, it's in my judgment. And they're saying the standard is like inarguable fact. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, and let's also that look at who great. let's look at who uh, these folks right. are who um, are making this kind of judgment. Uh, this is Texas Supreme Court Justice Devine. Um who is one of these people ruling on this, what kind of medical judgment do you think that he would find acceptable um, for, for there to be healthcare in, in the state of Texas? This is him talking during his, his election campaign. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I wanna to submit to you that before I ever got in politics, my convictions were forged in the, pr- the crucibles of the pro-life movement. I, got, I ran into a bunch of crazy Catholics and they talked me into rescuing at abortion clinics. And I rescued in Santa Austin and Corpus Christi and was arrested 37 times. Now, isn't it an irony that today I stand before you as one who could very well win the Texas Supreme Court? So, yeah. what kind of what kind of what kind of medical argument do you think you need to put up in front of somebody like that? It's Looney yeah. Tune bullshit to sit here and 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 treat this with any kind of credence or, or reasonableness right right exactly and all these judges all these politicians acting like law like i'm sorry law is a fucking joke compared to medicine and i'll also just say very appropriate that we had aina muhammad on uh this week with all these fucking fundamentalists and the way they make a mockery over republican form of government like mm-hmm. this shit is i mean yeah i because i mean i i can't i remember uh downtown fargo uh my entire undergrad going to jail beers uh, on Main Street. Right next door was the Red River Women's Clinic. And always in front of that were these fucking assholes, like that guy, the crazy Catholics. They're sa- thinking they were saving people's lives and actually what they were doing were harassing young women or women just in general, trying to get reproductive health. And I fucking hate those people. I, I don't like, you know, uh, this is a, a Michael Brooks uh, a sort of uh, um, uh, anniversary uh, and he always, you know, wants to be uh, kind with people. I, I fucking draw the line there. Maybe it's too close to home. <laughs> I'm sure you would agree people. with you too, friend. I, I'm sick yeah. of those fucking people. I, I fucking, they, they're lucky that they, they've gotten off easy is what I'll say. And, and again, you know, as we were just talking about what, what has become, ex- ex- so basically like here, here, here's the end line here is one this 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 poor woman had to go through not only one of the most difficult experiences of her life difficult enough to find out that a wanted child um is not viable that is a threat to your life um that devastating news is just unimaginable 
and I feel so sad and, and, and devastated for her to then be put through this from not only um, you know, the kind of public spectacle of it for the, the dignity in the first place of having to sort of petition the courts to get medical treatment, um, but to go through an experience of, of getting a judgment from a Travis County uh, judge that you were going to be able to get the necessary medical treatment and then having the attorney general of the state uh, pulling in overtime shifts uh, to make sure that you don't is truly, truly disgusting. And then we know the makeup of this court and how they ended up ruling. Um, the the expand the expanded aspect of this outside of even just the question of uh, health care regarding to abortion is what is going on in the state of Texas when it comes to medical professionals who work uh, with women and in pregnancy in general. Um, this is just one of the many, many stories I highly suggest on this. This is, was in Slate, um, the title by, by, Sophie no sorry, by Sophie Novak um, called, You Know What? I'm Not Doing This Anymore. And it breaks down the flight of so many OBGYN, OBGYNs and medical professionals in the state of Texas because of the threats that they're under. Right, because of the difficulty of providing care in the state. Again, just and in this case, specifically the artificial and bigoted and nasty and anti-human legislation. But before any of this shit, Texas was already one of the most difficult states in the country to have a child because of the underfunding of healthcare, because of the poverty that exists in the state. Um, so all of these people in the state um, who already needed to be served better. Uh, by 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 the medical system than they were. We're now seeing uh, outflux of people from the state of Texas, qualified people from the state of Texas, because they say that they can't put their lives, their family lives, and their future at risk to perform medicine in this state, all because a bunch of Republican um, politicians want to, again, have their anti-abortion law and have their soundbite too, um, because it's extremely yeah. clear that there's no real thought into it. I'd be disappointed with, obviously, an abortion ban that had a very well-crafted, um, you know, ex exemption and exception aspect to it. But the fact is, is that the worst case scenario is to have an abortion ban and to also have this quagmire joke disaster of an exemption, which, as we are all seeing, everyone in this country, everyone in this state is seeing very, very clearly does not exist in the state of Texas. Yeah, and that exodus of OBGYNs is not just a Texas problem. CBS mm -hmm. News had an article uh, uh, Halloween this year. Idaho's restricted abortion laws are fueling an exodus of OBGYNs with more than half of those who specialize in high-risk pregnancies expected to leave the state by the end of the year. So all this fucking shit about how much Republicans care about the middle of the country thing. Like, again, we're seeing they're going to get people killed. And I mean, I know somebody who was, uh, when I knew her uh, when I was younger, um, anti-choice uh, and unfortunately had a miscarriage. And that procedure, as we turned out, as like we discovered with Kate Cox, is the same procedure actually as an abortion. A DNC is, I can't forget what it actually stands for. And you know what? That changed her perspective because not, she did going through that shit, did not want to all of a sudden get on the fucking phone with Earl Palmeroy's office or Byron Dorgan or John Hoven or whoever the fuck to say, hey, can you let this uh, podunk doctor um, who's feeling a little bit skittish because he's like a 60 year old. Uh, that's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you don't like that's friction. You don't want that. 
that serves no purpose. The only purpose that this has been inserted into anyone's lives is hysterical campaign mongering by a Republican party that needs it to win elections. This is not a real problem. Late term abortions, all that shit is just hysterical anti-women bullshit to try to whip people up into a frenzy. And yeah, I, I mean, it'd be nice to have, um, It'd be, ni- it'd be nice to have a more uh, forceful response to it than uh, the uh, occasional good politician. You take the fight here, but uh, in large part, a Democratic Party that is actually just looking at it as money in the bank next election mm-hmm. so you can fundraise on it. Yeah, a lot of unfortunate weak language around this, I will say. Yeah. Um, but folks, uh, you know, and, and we're going to continue covering this and continue this fight because this is, you know, um, you know, obviously, we a lot of the focus has to be on on the Republican Party and the formation that sort of creates these dynamics. As Jules is saying there, though, again, already a number of women have died, um, and you're hearing pretty um, horrible whispers of of some of the things that people are having to do in this state to be able to get medical care, um, and it's extremely dangerous and dark. Um, but it also means that you know this kind of wishy washy political fight against the right um, is just unacceptable at this point. Um, because this, you could call it a ticking time bomb or something like this, but this is something that's been announced for decades. That this was around the corner, and there was a complacency and a willingness to fundraise on it—an entire um, financial nonprofit operation around it, uh, certainly a political um, fundraising operation around sort of holding up abortion as something under threat instead of actually finishing that fight once and for all. Right now, we're seeing the significant consequences of that, and they're horrific. Yeah. So, and even just looking back at the whole Roe versus Wade period, it, like, again, it was like saving abortion, but not with any sort of um, focus on, yes, you have the right to health care. It is not the government can't tell you what to do because of privacy. Mm-hmm. And that like kept in stasis. I mean, every at every point where we decided, oh, we want to expand health care in this country, that became an issue. Uh, Bart Stupak, Michigan congressperson during the Obamacare fight, was saying, well, I would love to do this uh, measly half-assed uh, third-way approach to extending health care coverage to people, but I'm worried that some of it is going to go to abortion. He was a Democrat. And like, I'm so, like we have to deal with this stuff, it, it, not in this uh, legalistic way of, oh, it's the right to privacy. Like We need our generation and the generations after us need to say, you have a right to these procedures. You have a right to all of them. By the way, that includes gender-affirming care. Um, and all these things because it, and you can't legal maneuver around it. Um, and Mm -hmm. I guess that's the last thing I have to say. It's such a frustrating, so frustrating to see this. And like the other woman who's being charged with, um, desecration of a corpse because she had a miscarriage in a public bathroom and didn't decided not to call a cop about it. Like we're, Mm -hmm. we've gone fucking insane. No, it, it, it is. It is, it's a very dark, dark, um, and emblematic tragedy um that i think really shows a lot of things are fucked up in this country and in this state for sure um but folks we're gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about some other dark and twisted fundamentalists folks. some <laughs> fundamentalists um i mean we'll i think we can let this uh clip this interview speak for itself i will say one thing that i do sort of regret not bringing up is i don't know if you remember back in the day um the sam harris and the noam chomsky uh, emails when they got leaked. Oh yeah. Um, Noam Chomsky yeah. has the best response about Sam Harris. 
um, which is that he's a religious fanatic who worships the state. Um, and I think that like that actually might answer some of our questions about why all these new atheists are now finding God. Um, but we'll uh, <laughs> we'll let that clip speak for itself. And then uh, Matt and I are going to talk a little bit about the the, the anniversary that this uh, show sort of symbolizes. And we'll see you on the other side. Uh, here we go. Welcome back, Left Reckoners. I'm Matt Leck. With me, as always, David Griscom. Hello, David. What's up, brother? Uh, not a whole lot, um, but we are joined now by Ina Muhammad-Smith. Ina is at Nice Mangoes on Twitter. She's also the host of the Polite Conversations podcast, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, Ina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so it's it's our pleasure. And what I what I want to talk to you about is this. Um, you, I was telling David, like, you're one of the few people who I've been following from new atheist circles who I think is still worth following that doesn't hasn't become like <laughs> uh, a, a rabid uh, Islamophobe, uh, for instance. Um, so with that in mind, I'm just curious, or actually, I just wanted to invite you to introduce yourself for folks who don't follow you on Twitter or follow Plate Conversations. Um, your uh, sort of I think good faith entry into the new atheism uh, uh, sort of sphere and then disillusionment with it. Okay, so basically I grew up in Saudi Arabia, which is a theocracy and uh, growing up a woman over there uh, is not the funnest experience because the state makes you wear a black cloak. I mean, I hear things are changing. I've not been there for a while now, so Forgive me if uh, this is a bit outdated, but at least the state used to enforce black cloaks and there was morality police, like literally, you know. So I, I'm of Pakistani background, but I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So I wasn't like a Saudi and expats in Saudi Arabia are kind of, uh, they kind of exist in a segregated sphere. So we don't really experience life as it is for Saudis. So there's like compounds for expats, uh, for, for many expats, not all even. Uh, I guess I was privileged enough to live in a compound that kind of had like more uh, lax rules within the walls. So like you would see that, you know, people are socializing and there were drinks and then occasionally women would drive people would go to the pool and wear regular swimsuits and things like that. But once you set foot outside of the compound walls, it's like you have to worry about morality police and wearing the black cloak. And so life would change on a daily basis, like, you know, cause we would have to leave to go to school, to get groceries, everything. So even though I was kind of inside this bubble, I still face that harsher life every single day. Um, and because I've been honest about this duality of my upbringing, that's been used against me uh, in the new atheist sphere a lot because they uh, talk about how I'm not like a real ex-Muslim because I did not suffer harshly enough. So like, you know, if my parents were beating me on a daily basis and forcing me to wear the veil, then I would be considered an authentic ex-Muslim. Right. But because I had like an upbringing with a loving family who understood like the phases I went through and 
questioning religion and things like that. I'm not viewed by the mostly right-wing scene as authentic enough. Mm. However, the very same me was viewed as extremely authentic like a few years before that because I used to focus a lot on, you know, sharing my experiences living in Saudi Arabia and critiquing Islam and, um, well, mostly conservative Islam through that lens. But when I turned that lens onto criticizing conservatives in the West as well, I live in Canada now, so, you know, my life is over here in North America. And what happens here matters to me as well. So I can't mm -hmm. always talk about, like, you know, life in Saudi Arabia, but that's what they want me to talk about only. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that. first of all, it seems like, and, you know, I think the uh, new atheist uh, uh, exiles will appreciate me ref uh, referencing a fallacy, a no true Scotsman fallacy. Like exactly. That you can't accidentally, uh, yeah, represent that. Um, yeah, and I remember first when I first heard about you, you were writing a uh, uh, an illustrating, I believe, two uh, uh, children's or young adults book, uh, um, basically L pro LGBT. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It, it it was like the first and only, as far as I know, uh, children's picture book. Uh, countering homophobia in Pakistan. So it was set in Pakistan. It was about a little boy and his uncle, who he loves very much, but his uncle doesn't get treated fairly. And uh, that, you know, we discover is because he's different, he's gay, and then people don't treat him nicely. And so it's just through this little boy's eyes and how he doesn't understand that prejudice that his uncle faces. And there's no mention of religion, nothing, but that book kind of escalated because it got read out in school assemblies in Ontario and Canada. And uh, then conservative parents got really pissed off and threatened to sue the school boards. And then they pulled up like some of my Twitter posts and called me an Islamophobe. And so like, so a bunch of stuff like that. But so I am sympathetic to the fact that, you know, sometimes Islamophobia, the term does get weaponized as we're seeing anti-Semitism be weaponized currently in the current climate, right? So even if you're saying something legitimately worth criticizing of Islamic conservatives, someone will turn that around and be like, no, you're Islamophobic. So I share that frustration and I understand it, but then I've seen it go like the other way as well, where they deny that it's a it's an even even a thing that Islamophobia doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like the whole the whole premise of your podcast, like to have actual good faith conversations to work through like these sorts of issues. And I thought that was what always kind of it was a good example of why it's like Sam Harris because you had a you basically like had some engagement with Sam Harris, right? And ultimately yeah. uh, he ended up being really nasty to you and not able to act. I think. Just to skip a little bit ahead in our conversation, it's it's not a shock to me that Ayan Hirsi Ali uh, became the sort of favorite ex-Muslim of these guys, and not somebody like yourself. Mm, yeah, yeah. The the more reactionary, the more rewarded in that landscape, really. So I was going to go nowhere, unfortunately. Yeah. What what but was your Sam? Yeah, Sam yeah. was on my show, so like I had a three hour conversation with him when I still was hopeful that he wasn't like the horrible bigot that people said he was because you know leaving religion was 
something that felt very freeing to me after growing up in a theocracy. And then when I found an atheist community online, I thought, hey, what could be better than this, right? These people, I can, I don't have to hide my views on religion. But then it became problematic very, very quickly where it turned into like, mm, these hordes of immigrants are coming to rape our white women. So I was like, mm, this isn't really the kind of criticism of religion that I'm interested in or want to be a part of because this is this is like some racist shit um but yeah so if you if if anyone were to go find that conversation from 2016 i believe it was i had sam on my show i was trying so hard to give him every chance to like counter these points where i'm like sam but what about this instance where you promoted douglas murray or what about this like Anne Marie Waters, who's like an Irish borderline, like white nationalist. And every time he failed, he failed so hard to just dismiss my concerns. And I even brought up Dave Rubin to him. This was before Dave Rubin was like on the main radar where as problematic. And so a lot of people I find go back to that conversation and they're like, wow, you know, I can't believe this person is bringing this stuff up to Sam Harris, like before all this came out and he had a falling out with Dave Rubin. Um, yeah, I, I, like there's there's a lot that's very interesting about that because it's like um, the anti... Um, like for me, I like I relate to you because I, I, I you know, not uh, I wasn't born in Saudi, but I was in a very religious upbringing. You know, my my family's identity was more religious than it was political, um, mm -hmm. Roman Catholic, and nonetheless, I, I and I, I I'm I haven't fully been able to account for it. I think the media is a big thing for it, but I just became an atheist uh, when I was like 13, 14. Mm -hmm. And and so I really relate to people who go through that because I I don't like religion generally. Like. Mm -hmm. it, it, isn't the thing I want to attack um, as as like a primary ops a, a primary obstacle, but me myself not for me. And then you see all these folks now in the context um, anti-Zionist Jews, particularly, and none of these new atheist types have any respect for that sort of figure right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that says an awful lot. And that's why you know I mean let's let's let me just uh, put this into. Uh, just to get this Ayan Hirsi Ali thing out of the way, there's two headlines that I think kind of really sum it up. And one was from our, our boy Christopher Hitchens in 2007, uh, headline in Slate, She's No Fundamentalist. And, uh, and then a more recent headline here uh, from uh, Unheard, um, Why I Am Now a Christian by Unheard. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so good. Not, not the you best. You couldn't write this to be better. Exactly. And it's like, even at that time, because I was, you know, that was about the time I was actually getting into Hitchens. It's like, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if I can really go along with you on this. And and just for anybody who hasn't read the um, Ion Hersiali thing, it's because, as her subhead says, atheism can't equip us for civilizational war. And, the, <laughs> and we basically need Christianity because we need to fight fire with fire. And I, I really, you know, I wonder what Chris would say. And I would like if he was still alive so people could say, we told your dumbass, what were you doing uh, with that <laughs> right. stuff? But yeah. What's your, what, do you have any more uh, response about uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali? Like, I just, I just can't believe how much she's proven the point. <laughs> like, I know. That Hitchens thing is, is, it was wild to read because it's, like, <laughs> he's, he's taking out, uh, he's taking like Timothy Garton Ash being like, ooh, I'd like to see what's fundamentalist about this. Well, <laughs> 
I think we can see it now. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so Ayan has been on this Jesus thing for a while, and it's a bit of a theme in new atheists if you're if you're really looking carefully. Um, so to me, it seems like the natural conclusion of this stupid right wing movement um, that really isn't about atheism at all. Um, so Ayan used to go around saying how we should try and convert Muslims to Christianity because they won't be willing to give up their barbaric religion. Maybe they'll be able to embrace this cute and cuddly Jesus Christ, who's a lot less harmful. Which never caused any problems for anybody. This no, is never. Else. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, you know, even Sam Harris has touted her as, like, the most, like, enlightened, secular feminist ever. I do this, like, mini-series about Sam Harris in particular because I find him so insidious and I feel some sort of responsibility mm -hmm. to call him out because I guess I was a part in defending him at certain times. And he slides under so many people's radars because he's good at, like, masking uh, well, not that good, but better than, say, Dave Rubin, right? So people mm -hmm. are like, what do you mean? He's just a, he's a liberal. No, 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 no. He's very, very, very right wing. And right. so in one of my episodes uh, titled on that miniseries, it's called Woking Up, which is after his waking up. Um, <laughs> it's titled Sam's Favorite Feminist. And so I go into like the details of Ian Hersielli and how reactionary and unsecular, really, she's been for years now. Yet she's been touted as this like amazing secular humanist feminist hero. Like it was not like ages ago that she was doing talks at religious universities. They used to claim that it's because no one else would have her. But I mean, no one else yeah. would have her because she's spouting reactionary she, talking points. Right. I mean, she's been she. I mean. She's the nutcase. Like, like I remember her saying about Anders Breivik, the Norway killer, mm. that like he basically had run out of other options because yeah. no one was listening to him. And she said that. Um, and and like to me, it's like it's it's hard to talk about the suppression of right wing views for that guy being a motivator when he literally cited all these different thinkers, including Ayan Harsi Ali, yeah. as to why he needed to act the way he did. So actually, like, no, the media part was fine. He's just like, okay, none of you are going to go shoot up, like, young uh, left-wing parties' uh, summer camp and set some bombs off to protest Muslims. And her, again, her response was, yeah, don't look at me. You guys are suppressing these people who say like Europe should stop committing suicide. Like, yeah, yeah, way yeah. out there, and only because like she has had an interesting life, and that's the only reason I think people like like the only valid reason for saying like, okay, what do you have to say? But when it starts coming out like that, like, yeah, you shouldn't be inviting her to your university. <laughs> Right. And also, like, I think it's been proven that a lot of the experiences that she cited have not been true. So she's had an interesting life. But like, to what extent do we know that right. those experiences are authentic? Like, I have trouble trusting her now because she's yeah. truly deranged. Like, she said things like um, BLM activists and wokeists are like jihadists essentially because they both have chance 
I mean, this is the thing that's like <laughs> I think is like exceptionally clear in 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 this essay that that in the in the unheard about her conversion to Christianity. Because um, for something like this, it's exceptionally lazy as a piece. Um, you know, the first half is just sort of her saying, like, you know, by the way, if you didn't know, I grew up under Islam and it was really, really rough, right? And it's, that's a bad religion. Um, and then towards the end, it's like, okay, well, what are the kind of positive arguments for Christianity to be? I mean, these are old school, extremely boring um, kind of uh, Sunday school youth minister things where it's like, if you don't believe in God, then you can believe anything possible. Right. And you could actually become a reactionary. Right. And it's like, okay, well, that's not like an affirmative case for Christianity. Right. Because, um, and, and, and it, she doesn't even affirm anything particular about Christianity. And I'm not even just trying to nitpick. I'm like being very explicit here. If you read this piece, yeah. it's exceptional because there's no affirmation of like, you know, yeah. even some things that like, if I Jesus. want to write it. Yeah, if I can't exactly write <laughs> something about Christ, um, you know, there's nothing in there about that. It's really, it's no. just like, you could become a woke moralist, basically, um, or Christian, and there's not really any other around there. And and it's also, I mean, the only kind of positive thing that I can glean from it is that, like, hey, it's sort of important to have, like, community, right? Which, again, is just ex exceptionally lazy as an argument yeah. from Christianity over any other religion. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's that's how they go, usually, right? Nobody and and do they ever come back and address these? Like, do you think Sam Harris is going to address this? He's going to take forever, just like he took forever addressing that his best friend Majid had become an anti-vaxer, or right. that you know his friend Dave Rubin, whose show like he literally started the show off with, like he I think he was like the first episode that Dave Rubin <laughs> launched with. And people were like cornering and questioning Sam for like years before he said anything on the topic. Like they're so always talking about how they're the only intellectually honest people in the room. And yet yeah. they're the biggest intellectual and moral cowards that I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, I want to sidebar a little bit on uh, Unheard, this uh, this outfit that uh, Ali published this uh, Why I'm a Christian thing up from their mission statement. As you may have guessed from our strange spelling, Unheard aims to do two things, to push back against the herd mentality with <laughs> new and bold thinking and to provide a platform for otherwise unheard ideas, people and places. I guess that it, now it's like we need to reherd. We need to we need to herd up because the other herd is uh, too much of a herd. And I, I noticed this too because Giannis Varoufakis talked to an unheard guy, and he made it. And the unheard guy's like, "Yeah, but we got to do something about immigration." Oh, and just because, and it's like, how about stop hiding behind what like you want. Like that's actually the sort of challenge thing you should be challenging. That's one of the herd mentality. Right, things. right, if I right. Was being brave. I would say, hey, maybe instead of like hiding behind, maybe we should like Giannis Varoufakis did say, hey, actually, um, hard borders represent a failure of societies to get along with each other. But um, that's my unheard bit for a bit. I think it's completely bullshit, and um, but that's just my anti-libertarian bias. Uh, it's just like a parroting the status quo stuff that's masquerading as like transgressive or you know, yeah. exciting or new or different in some way. Well, I mean, exactly. I this this sort of gets to something sort of deep in like the kind of new atheist movement in general. And I will just say on Unheard, Ralph Leonard does write for them and he writes some very good columns on Unheard. Oh, but, no. I like Ralph, um, yep. Oh, oh no. Okay. <laughs> Going to keep my mouth shut there. But, okay. <laughs> well, you can say whatever you want. Um, but 
Um, I will say, like, the thing about the new atheists that's extremely frustrating is that they, they, they've they never really held up or owned the positions that they want to take. Um, and I think it's something that is exceptionally clear right now. And, like, you see this with a lot of these characters because they've sort of, most of them have moved on from religion into, like, woke, right? And woke is, yeah. like, the new kind of religion that needs to be broken down. And it's just, it's just been amazing to see how quickly they sort of drop the robes of their atheism and their rationalism mm -hmm. and their scientism or anything like that. Um, and it becomes very clear who like the target, at least for a lot of these, these folks is, I mean, a great character example of this is, I don't know if you've come across, you know, James Lindsay, uh, the oh. self-described expert on Marxism, you know, also, he wanted to be uh, a leading light of the new atheist scene back in the day. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, he, he, you know, he tried to put out a few books and, you know, didn't really catch fire because it was a little, <laughs> you know, it was a little full at that time when he was writing. Um, and, you know, then it sort of pivots over to the woke thing. And right. I think that, that he sort of represents, yeah. you know, the, that, that kind of forward trend that we were going to see within yeah. the new atheist movement. Yeah, exactly. It's that morphing from like new atheism merging into IDW-ness, into heterodox, mm -hmm. into just plain old anti-woke, which, you know, new atheism always embodied anyways, right? It was even the criticism of Islam and the criticism of religion was really just like a an excuse to bash the left. And yeah. it was like, well, you know, they don't hate Islam hard enough and they don't care about, you know, women that are suffering under Islam. And that kind of really kind of got me at some points. And then I was very quick to like, well, not very quick, but maybe a year or two into it. I was like, no, 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 this is not right. Um, yeah. Aina, do you remember the Atheism Plus uh, sort of attempt in like 2012, which is yeah. was like, supposed to counter that? Like it was, okay, we, but people like I think PZ Myers and other sort of like liberal atheists were like, okay, there is a sort of rancid, maybe racist or imperial element to this. Let's do an atheism that has like feminism and is pro LGBT, and the reaction was very negative. Uh, yeah, there's still there's that. still so much anger about it. If you ever bring it up, they'll be like, ah, "Atheism, what's <laughs> what?" <laughs> yeah, but if a... you look at the just the trends in the movement, you know, you have Dawkins talking about like how the sound of church bells are beautiful, mm -hmm. unlike that horrendous guttural i don't know call to prayer islamic prayer or whatever and yeah. then you have um james Lindsay. like was it like a white nationalist uh, christian evangelical organization that he was joining hands with and doing all this anti-woke cr anti crt stuff and then yeah. dawkins was retweeting him uh, retweeting events of theirs that was like beginning with like a morning prayer and then he quickly unretweeted it and then we have douglas murray who keeps saying that mm -hmm. you know we have a god-shaped hole in society and it's like what kind of atheist are you man yes and yeah no, like it, that, go ahead it's just it's just heading there towards and towards christianity like even i think it was dawkins too who said that christianity might be a bulwark against something much much worse i.e islam you know yes mm -hmm. well that, that brings us to uh our clip of the day of two intellectual titans here um dave rubin and brett weinstein and mm -hmm. they're they just they, <laughs> we, we're gonna skip the part where they lament but this is the context they lament that uh the world isn't 1995 anymore and I, I i don't know why like like i'm not a gay man but i don't think like the tail end of the aids panic 
um, and also pre um, gay marriage being legal would be where I would say like the height of the enlightenment is just from a self-interest standpoint. But anyway, here's him and Brett talking about where, uh, what the problem with new atheism. Somewhere better. And I, the two that come to mind most directly, um, I think there was a terrible misstep with atheism and what it did was it unhooked a set of protections, some of which really weren't no longer necessary, many of which were still essential, but for reasons that were not literally explained in the documents in question. And I know because for a while I was pretty close to the only evolutionary biologist trying to bridge this gap and speaking to religious people and saying, look, my colleagues are telling you you're now, I'll just say, Brett, Brett was an adjunct professor for a couple of years. Like, <laughs> he doesn't have a, he's published like under five things. Maybe it's more than that. I don't think it, maybe he's on more, but like you actually, he's not, he's not a leading evolutionary biologist, which is a, a field to like put an asterisk next to anyway, because there's a lot of bullshit mm. in there. Uh, mm. But uh, yeah, I just think not that impressive, <laughs> Brett. That you're actually. Let me just finish this, and we can uh, react to it. Because um, he says something about a mind virus here that is entirely projection. I know that's not right. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that what you think took place literally happened. And we have to have that conversation. What if what you believe is important but not literal, right? Getting there from an evolutionary perspective. If we could have done that earlier and not temporary. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that whole thing, it, it drives me crazy. Like we went through the scopes monkey trial in this country, which is, um, basically like lawsuits against schools teaching evolution. Mm. I don't think it's, I don't think it was a scientist's fault. I'll be honest. I think it's probably because these sorts of beliefs are deeply, deeply felt and hard to actually like challenge. But, um, I'm curious what you think of that. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is about them both being angry at Sam Harris, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, let's not forget, Dave Rubin used to identify as an atheist um, till a few years ago when then when he said, like, he got pressured into identifying as an atheist by Peter Boghossian or some some stupid shit <laughs> like that. Um, and then um, I don't think that Brett was the only evolutionary biologist that was willing to talk to religious people and not treat them like they're fools infected by some mind virus like the the delusions of grandeur like these both brothers have is yes. truly incredible yeah um i think what is it uh eric weinstein believes that he has solved uh, a problem in physics that has been stumping people basically since Einstein. But has he released it all yet or is it still on his no, Patreon? It, it's still, I think, <laughs> only been released in part. He, he's not ready to... He's not, look, this guy's solved physics. He's scattered like, he's, it all across the globe and he's like, <laughs> there's like a vault somewhere with the map, yeah. <laughs> you, you have to be a Patreon for 36 uh, months um, at least before you get access to the vault. Oh, yeah. It's going to... It's going to change everything, but he doesn't want to put it in front of anybody who could like peer review it or nothing because, you know, you got to, of course, talk shit. Um, hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, like, I mean, just a little bit more of this just because I can't help it. He flirted with the idea that 
you know, simple atheism was somehow a sophisticated way of navigating through life. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is what's interesting because I, I think I agree with him here. And that's why I became a Marxist and a socialist <laughs> is that actually just being an atheist um, doesn't explain to you a whole lot of what's going on in Iraq, for instance, mm. or uh, what's going on in Israel, Palestine. Um, actually, these things aren't about a holy book. The thing about um, the uh, Arab world, for instance, is that um, uh, 19, like the rise in, uh, what do you want to call it, um, violence or anti-Semitism that uh, occurred subsequent 1948 um, and around that time, there was not a change to the Quran at that time. Uh, new atheists right. might uh, not know this, but there was no change to the <laughs> holy books. What happened was nationalism, a bunch of nationalisms. So like that, that's why, like, yeah. I realized that I can't just read uh, Sam Harris' letter to a Christian nation and think I'm going to be able to understand the world because that's like, like, like we all agree that like secularism is preferable and mm. probably conducive to better lives. Um, how you get to that point is, I think, different than just attacking people's religion. So, yeah, that, that's why you're right, Brett. But the solution isn't to go into like anti-vax um lunacy or anti-wokeism anti-wokeism really replaced that is their grand you know that's their new schematic for understanding the world yeah or old i mean that's what anti-sjwism yeah. right was. yeah fair point <laughs> yeah sjw that term isn't around anymore david you're going to say something oh no or political correctness or whatever no i'm just all i was right. going to say is it's just yeah like, exactly of, cor of, of, of course they think that like the wokeism is what because they're all idealists right because yeah. again it's the same thing as like if you think oh well this book is going to create this kind of societal result which again is like just you know not factual you're going to think the same thing as like oh all these people believe like this and they're getting in cultural instruction to do a certain kind of thing and that's going to lead society in a certain direction it's all idealism all the way down um, yeah. And whether 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 or not it's a, uh, an idealist critique of religion or an idealist critique of like social and and and, and cultural values, um, it's the same kind of thing. Um, and uh, it's it's just funny to see them have to basically retool it um, as the social forces start to sort of change in American and Western society, I guess. Um, you know, into whatever this new form is, which honestly I sort of preferred a little bit more this one because at least it's a little bit more naked. Um, versus the other one, which is sort of trying to hold on to like rationalism and, and oh, and they don't have they don't have any pretensions to the free speech thing anymore. With all the post uh, October seventh, like these people are openly calling for genocide, quote unquote. Uh, mm -hmm. They say like all of them have jettisoned it. That's been that has been amusing, and to watch them lament like Tucker Carlson um not play their game um which i mean i think is probably for tucker carlson's reasons not mine um but mm. yeah that's been that's been very interesting the last uh, few months but they'll uh, go right back to it when they need it it's not like mm. they're going to be like oh yeah we gave that up the, no they're going to be that's back true. and forth as they feel like they need it they'll be like no we were always about free speech what are you talking and about? And it's wild, but like, and it, you're right. And it's like so crazy because right now they are the, we need safe spaces people. Mm -hmm. like, exactly. Like literally like you're wearing that scarf. I'm unsafe. And that, that's yeah, sort of I just saw mock. that. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And that's the exact sort of thing that they would point and taunt and say, you are a SJW snowflake. Uh, get out of here. <laughs> and they are 
they they are riding both bikes at the same time. It's, it's been fascinating. So, Ina, what are you uh, what are you going to be following in the new year um, in the IDW sphere, and uh, as we look forward? Well, uh, unfortunately, I'm committed to this uh, Harris miniseries as much as it makes my ears bleed <laughs> every time. Uh, I feel like I have to just see it through till I, I'm satisfied. Before October 7th, I thought I was just going to dive back in for like a quick one or two finalizing episodes. But then he started pumping out all this bullshit on this current situation, like literally parroting the most ridiculous IDF and Israeli propaganda that Anyone that considers themselves a rational intellectual would be embarrassed to just parrot like that. Like he's still literally saying that the only motivation for Hamas's violence is religion. Only the only motivation. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's just that's just propaganda, right? Like um, I have a clip here from um, uh, Avi Shleim, who's a uh, um, Baghdad born uh, moved to Israel as a, as a kid and uh, then moved to um, the UK and became an, I don't know if you'd call himself an anti-Zionist now, but certainly a post-Zionist. And you know, he writes, um, uh, I took issue with two narratives when he was uh, going to college. Samuel Huntington's Clash of Civilizations thesis. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the former implicitly, that implicitly rules out the possibility of Jewish Arab identity, which is what Avi Shleim was. Hmm. Um, the Zionist narrative maintains that anti-Semitism is inherent to Islamic and Islamic religion, that Islam has been relentlessly persecuted. Anyway, you know, this is the thing we're just talking about, is that these things happen, but as Avi Shleim can... Uh, uh, um, uh, inconveniently attest to from an Israeli perspective is that actually um, Jews were living in Baghdad with some degree of coexistence with Muslims. And then, of, as we know, these nationalisms have stoked all sorts of yeah. hatreds and violence in it. And again, that's what the IDW and the New Atheist, that was the problem, is that they they really gave a simplistic answer mm -hmm. to th those sorts of histories. And it's one that, like, honestly... That's the biggest problem with Hitchens, as, as, as you know, Dave and I have talked about, like that he didn't with Hersey Ali couldn't suss that out um, yeah. is, you know, that that's and, and he's the one who should have been equipped to so, Richard Dawkins doesn't know shit. He, he's like no. watching monkeys all day or something like that. Right. <laughs> like um, um, and like I, you know, I, I appreciate like Daniel Dennett, but he was old as hell at that point. Like, I, I don't know, like. <laughs> Hitchens should have known better, and he mm. didn't. He completely whiffed on that. And uh, yeah, I think like no clash of civilizations. We historicize here, and we talk about politics. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I know I can't. I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, your work, and uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Left Reckoning today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, oh yeah, one more thing. Um, uh, uh -huh. What's your Patreon? uh patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes no e in mangoes thank you oh there one you more thing i just wanted yeah. to say before i leave is that clip that you showed about uh dave and uh brett it also struck me as one of those reactionary like return with a v kind of takes like we must you know abandon this atheism and return to like tradition and mm -hmm. uh embrace like conservative like cultural practices yes. again yeah yeah and you well, actually yeah you, you remind me of something i wanted to say is that brett somehow he's still trying to portray himself as the progressive 
So he's <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, Dave, I know you want to just return, but I still think we need to be more creative. But that's an easier conversation to have when you're not specific about literally a single thing that you're talking about. Like, are, are we can we put it? Can we get concrete about it with regards to COVID or Israel Palestine? Or are we just going to talk about ideas and mm. some old ideas are good and some new <laughs> ideas we really need? And how do we judge it? It's so crazy. It's like it's the same shit they've been having, the same conversation for a decade now with these jokers. Exactly. I can't believe people still like to sniff those farts. Um, I know at Nice Mangoes. Um, thanks again, Anna. Thank you. Yes, folks. Um, I do think if the IDW didn't exist, uh, we would almost have to invent them as uh, <laughs> sort of archetypes for just poor thinking and, you know, I mean, errors in judgment and uh, understand the world that have been with us since, I mean, the 1800s before then. Yeah, but, you know, they'll, they'll at least, like, build a couple of structures and monuments to themselves, you know. And it's going to be funny to see, you know, the University of Austin is set to start trying to provide some degrees to folks. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> which is a pretty dark... I think indictment of the entire review system um, for higher education. Um, but, you know, it, like the, the post life for these folks is what is going to be interesting. Cause you always, you know, anybody who's like in new media or even just like who sort of is caught lightning, you know, in the sense of like how all these folks caught the cultural discourse you know, in a stupid way, but yeah, totally. They, they had big platforms, things like that. It's always interesting to say, okay, well, what that, what is that person going to look like in 2030? Right. Um, what will they be up to? Um, and right now we're seeing is like, oh, they're just willing to be completely plastic. <laughs> yeah. If, if social conservative, if Christian social conservatism seems like that's what's going to be ascended, hell yeah, man. It's time to, you know, bust out the Bible. But yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know how how to how to introduce it. Um, we want to take a couple of of minutes at the end to sort of talk about something. I mean, I don't know how hell it's always been something that's been on my mind matt um i had sort of avoided sort of searing into my head what number it would be um mm -hmm. but once i sort of you know looked again and realized it was coming up it has been something that's been sort of sitting with me uh for this past month and that is that um left reckoning is at episode 148 um, which is also the last uh, TMBS, Michael's final episode on the Michael Brooks show was 148. And I don't know. I mean, we had sort of talked about it a little bit about how we want to to handle it. Um, and, you know, if we didn't want to say anything, if we just want to have it private, I, I, I figured it was nice to just take a couple of minutes at least uh, to acknowledge it here um, with the audience, because, you know, it, it, it signifies like a couple of different things to me at least. And then, and then I'd like to talk about, Michael a little bit more specifically, but you know, it, it, it signifies um, how much we did with TMBS um, in 148 episodes. I mean, uh, not to downplay left reckon or anything like that, but TMBS felt like that was like a decade of, of work. And it's almost mm -hmm. kind of bizarre to sort of think of that as, Oh no, that was actually, it was only about three years in total and yeah. uh, more so for you than me. Cause I, I came in a couple episodes after you. Um, 
And, you know, so there's like that kind of aspect of sort of dealing with the time that's like, oh man, it's actually, it's been a TMBS length of, of, of time since, since Michael's passing. Um, it also has given me like a lot of pride and happiness in seeing like the community that we've been able to maintain and also build and expand. I mean, um, you know, the, all the listeners of this program have meant tremendous amounts to me from the very get go and, and, and still today, um, sort of dealing with one of the things that I think gave me a lot of anxiety when we first launched left reckoning was like the idea is like, you know, there's going to be people who sort of come to us and like, this is their starting point, you know what I mean? Versus people who are sort of coming over with us from the, the TBS and, and our work with Michael. It's wild um, how, how, yeah, many of those people there are. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and happy for them mm-hmm. and to be able to share that work and, and, and this new work. It's just, it was something that, you know, when we first launched this, I mean, when you and I were first really seriously talking about, okay, so we need to launch our, our own thing and, and, and do something in that same vein, but also something that was very much ourselves, our analysis, our history, our, our culture, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we really had no idea what that was going to end up looking like. And, I have to say I'm pretty proud of, of of what we've been able to accomplish over these three years, and I'm immensely proud of what we were able to accomplish over those three years uh, working working with Michael. But you know, just as a, it's a time right now, and I want to throw to you, Matt. Um, it's a time right now that like I'm sort of having that reflection of you know what this has all meant. I'm very happy uh, to have been doing this with you, friend, and all of the listeners out there all this time uh, from Left Reckoning and TMBS. Yeah, likewise, and. <clears throat> I mean, honestly, uh, frankly, like it makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> at 35, I just turned 35. That was about a little bit older. Thirty, The last year, like Michael was 34 when he started TMBS uh, mm-hmm. and uh, 30, about 37 when he passed, if not 37. Um, and I feel, uh, you know, it's interesting because like I saw him mature a lot over the course of tmbs like i knew michael before and he was he was very good and there are very strong moments uh of him hosting the majority report for instance um and that's actually his presence was what made that show my favorite is that he had like was able to offer like the foreign policy stuff and like the deep um sort of anti-libertarian history stuff uh but i definitely when he sort of i mean got the reps both on tmbs and also when he started doing a lot of news hits uh he evolved basically into something that i don't think a lot of people could touch uh Mm. really and that's something that like i sort of feel an obligation to like attempt like what like i'm still reading things and books that like michael and i discussed and that I should get to at some point uh, because he took it seriously. Like his, he had, uh, uh, he enjoyed himself, but he did like put in the work uh, when it came to like, and you don't see that in this business. Uh, a lot of people just get on the incentives for this business are to find some clips and get on and just do an instant reaction to them. It's not to mm-hmm. like go into uh, Tabo and Becky's, uh memoirs uh right like and but we're all poor for that 
And there, and I'm not saying that like there are like YouTube essayists particularly. I think that are a little bit better at bringing out sources <laughs> and having like a, a little bit more rigor to their analysis. Um, but he, uh, he, yeah, like I, I think to be able to see, have seen him in the final year reach a point of um, where others like Vijay Prashad or. Slavo mm-hmm. Zizek uh, viewed him as a counterpart when I remember meeting him in like 2015 and we would talk about like Noam Chomsky and stuff as like fans <laughs> right mm-hmm. and and it was something that he was never he never felt like he was excited to meet like Cornell West and Noam Chomsky and stuff but he also like knew he did the work to belong there mm-hmm. <laughs> and be able to offer something to the conversation. I mean, that's why like when him and Cornell are at that talk uh, and Cornell's digging what he's saying, um, I mean, Cornell can, I guess, <laughs> you know, performatively dig what people are saying, uh, uh, but really like actually having a deeper conversation. Like I, I, you know, I think that's what, when I look back at like the final episodes and stuff like that, um, I always think of like yeah, how Michael had basically, you know, reached cruising altitude. Uh, where it comes to him himself as an intellectual, I mean, he was exceptionally disarming. Um, you know, where with with people was like, I, I think one thing that, like him as an interviewer um, was was something to sort of behold because he was really great. Obviously, um, well, not you know, very knowledgeable. Went into those things with the plan, th- certain things that he wanted to discuss. What was really great uh, about Michael when I've I've come to like appreciate more and more like sort of sitting on this side of things too like you know interviewing people talking to people like like we have to now versus us sort of being on the side um, is that he was so good at sort of getting somebody um, and sort of throwing them like a curveball or a joke or something like that that would sort of disarm them a little bit um, that would oftentimes lead to very interesting areas in the conversation versus like, you know, if, if, cause on the other side, right. Um, if you're somebody who's like promoting a book or an essay or something like that, like you do so many interviews and you show up like, here are my five points I'm going to hit, you know, that was never the interview that you got on, on TMBS with Michael, because Michael was going to be one, do something unique in interviewing, which is actually read people's book, which doesn't happen very often. Um, and two was also going to sort of, uh, you know, interact with you in a way that like, no, you're not going to be able to do a kind of canned, you know, here's like one, two, three, and five, um, you know, responses to these, uh, to these questions. Um, and, and it's something that I think was like very human and, and welcoming about that entire program um, and, and, and his work that I really, really appreciate. I will say while we are talking, um, you know, a little bit seriously, and I want to keep on that. I think it's also really important, as you were saying, Matt, like saying, talking about the, this evolution and things like this, is that like it's I think it's exceptionally clear to me uh, the evolution, both like, you know, politically in the work, in the view of what was going on. I don't think that when he launched this thing and you were there at the beginning, so you tell me um, if, if he always knew how big it was going to become. Um, but one thing that is exceptionally clear to me is a big time uh, glow up. And I am sort of poisoning the well a little bit here. Um, but these are from his initial kind of press release when the TMBS went live. That was um, almost maybe left over from two dope boys. <laughs> I think so. I, yeah. And then, and then let me just pull this one up. 
uh, <laughs> you know, to this is there is a huge <laughs> style glow up in. I mean, you know, and it was fun because there's two things that people sort of knew about that Michael, uh, you know, particularly in that year three towards the end. It was like track suit or suit every show it had like a very particular a look and i know for example he really especially um later on did not and i don't want to talk bad about anyone else's work but he he did not like his initial kind of press um docket for <laughs> the launch of uh tmbs it always sort of cracks me up sort of thinking about like the final product what the vibes were what the what was sort of being promoted versus like what it was going into it and seeing those like there was a massive kind of realization of something that i don't even think um was fully sort of fleshed out at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think <laughs> that the, that's a before and after of a guy figuring out that, Oh, actually I can do what I want for a living. Yes, exactly. I don't, I don't need to, uh, and I don't need to impress some sort of like marketing manager or cause like the whole like thought of two dope boys in a podcast, which is like, um, how do we make money out of this? That was before even majority report was making money. There was just no fucking money. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's like, how do we talk about this stuff, but also get money and like pay for rent and stuff. And it was, <laughs> let's do this thing where it's like politics, but branding. And Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That That's what two dope boys was. Yeah, was yeah. Is we were hoping to get like, I don't know, like, um, I don't even know the brands now, like Bape or whoever to like hire us as consultants and like never panned out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't really know. It was like, we're going to talk about like brands effing up and it was fun, but it was like, we want to be talking about, especially Michael, we want to be talking about politics. And mm -hmm. then like, l luckily like the mo business model became, uh doable through patreon and uh all of a sudden we could actually do that yeah no i mean this is the the time where you know we can sort of reflect and and, and say what would be going on now i think that that's ex extremely like irresponsible um i think a lot of people sometimes you know i think less so now but there's a period i know you and i both sort of experienced this people were like well michael would have done this michael would have done that I don't even feel particularly comfortable in saying one thing or the other unless I can sort of root it in something specific. Um, and I'm going to tell random commenters on the internet, you as sure as fucking hell, I have no idea what was going on. But I know that one thing, and, and it's just like sad to not see it, is like in that same vein of you, what you're saying, Matt, is like being able to expand and sort of be like, okay, we have this opportunity to talk politics and do it in a certain way. I know Michael kept on saying something to us and I, I have to admit, I was always a little confused as to what he meant by it, but I think I sort of get it now was he was saying, it's like, I want to do less politics. I want to do less politics. I want us to do less politics. And I don't think what he meant by that was like not talking about like politics in like the big sense, um, but moving away from kind of covering, Oh, here's the congressional race and our oh, progressives winning in this Massachusetts election Right. Uh, to getting into those kind of deeper conversations on 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 history um to kind of political organizing to like just a general like how do you build a working class movement that more holistic view that's like not as much attached to the news cycle it's always pertinent it's always evergreen it's something that we always are sort of thinking about um and i think that that was sort of being cooked up and you can see that a lot actually in the transition um 
and I think maybe year three, like 100 to 148, um, is that there was like a general kind of push to sort of move away um, from just being a, another kind of like election recap show, which a lot of programs right. are, or uh, a clip show. It's like, okay, here's the hot things on the internet today uh, to actually sort of driving and setting the conversation. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one thing that, that Michael was, was really good at too was, you know, he could do both, right? He could do both really well. He could re respond to whatever dumbass thing that Howard Schultz had said that week. And then also, okay, five minutes later, we're going to take a deep dive into Thomas Ankara um, yeah. and talk about liberation and that history. But yeah, I mean, and I think that's, um, I totally understand why he wants to do that. I mean, as mm -hmm. somebody who covers politics, more uh on my other show like i do think that like and that is where attention is um definitely i can't i can't tell you it's wild since october 7th when all i can think about is uh basically mm -hmm. bombing how into uh george santos people are <laughs> like it's there's it's a, it's a crazy appetite and i think like there's it's not um healthy i don't I, it's a, it's an entertainment product for a lot of people um and yeah i i, I don't i understand like i get why i get I, I don't know i don't really understand a whole lot of it because i've never i get maybe that's sort of like um a daily showification type of thing like people got used mm. to that's the i, I just I, I almost feel yeah, i don't know how to, to explain it yeah and i mean This isn't the first opportunity we've had to reflect, and I'm sure it won't be the last. Um, so I don't want to over overburn it or, or overdo it. Um, I will just say that, like for me personally, uh, working with with you, Matt, has been a, a huge honor. Working with Michael has been a massive one as well, and I've learned just uh, you know a tremendous amount. I mean, in the same way of talking about uh, you know the the difference in that before and after photograph that we just put up. Um, I feel like I, I was moved uh, very much um, in working with Michael. I mean, when I first came on to that, that program, I was, I was, <laughs> I remember I think it was like one or two and, and I didn't know Michael. So, you know, forgive me if this is uh, off base or anything like that. But I remember him saying something. He's like, I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, I'm a democratic socialist and, and Texas and my friends are being like, oh, God, you know, the, <laughs> you know, this is like this hard revelation here from this. You know, I was not I love I, I really liked Michael. Don't get me wrong here. But I was just sort of like, OK, my role here is to be like the radical and sort of steer right, right. The, the ship. And then, you know, over the years, realized it's like, oh, man, I have a lot to learn uh, from this guy. And I'm, I'm really honored to have that that opportunity to to discourse and and argue and, and, and debate and, you know, um, I don't think that I became like a carbon copy, right? Nor would he want me to be, nor would I want to be. Um, but it was like that kind of ever grown, ever ongoing process of just like growing, maturing as, as a thinker, having a good time as a person and sort of building up uh, connections with him and all of our friends and all this community. I mean, it was uh, it w w was something that I had no idea what I was walking into uh, when, when I first, uh, um, you know, called Michael for the first time on my my old teacher Luke Mayville's suggestion. I had no idea that this was going to be something that was really going to fundamentally alter and 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 shape my life. And just immensely grateful um, for the work that we all all three of us have done uh, with TMBS, the work that I've done with you, 
and you know i'll tell you it's it's sometimes tough um because you know left reckoning as a project at least the idea of it um you know i had sort of cooked up about a year and a half into tmbs working with michael's like oh maybe i'll launch my own thing and i went online and i signed up for a patreon and i think a twitter account and it just sort of sat there for, you know sort of sat there forever um and then coming back into it later during that difficult period and, and sort of thinking about what uh you know what it should be and, and what it could be and how to do it um you know it's 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 sort of been interesting from like that moment you know years ago when when michael was still around when we we're still doing things thinking about doing something and and then what it ended up ended up becoming out of these kind of circumstances of of none of our choosing and i'll tell you i do still have this kind of not to get too personal or anything like that but i still do have this kind of you know mental block where i have picked up the phone before and, and started almost texting michael for advice or a question or things like that and you know it's obviously heartbreaking for many reasons he's he's not with us um i wish there was somebody else on the other end of of, of the line but working with you has meant a lot with for me during that process matt and this community and and knowing that like i think at the end of the day he would be really stoked to to see that we're still doing this and keeping our things keeping this whole thing uh, going in our own way and not as a kind of carbon copy um and you know feel very honored for 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 the opportunity to do this with him and this program and just very thankful um and grateful and just sort of trying to take a, a moment to express how grateful and humbled i am by all of that yeah i think i think uh, likewise i think a lot of things have degenerated uh obviously um <laughs> in that time but i also think you know um probably have like was on in the new year um like mm -hmm. the, the the crew is still here and i think that almost makes his absence feel even more acute <laughs> is mm -hmm. the degree to which like um especially like when those were i'm in proximity with other people that it's like i wouldn't have been in that proximity if not for michael like it, it's mm -hmm. like uh we it's like it's like his absence is it's almost like that thing where they talk about everest climbers <laughs> get where there's like a third person behind their back or whatever that they just feel <laughs> yeah. there um mm -hmm. that's like that's really what it feels like but i i think like i think he would be proud of um a lot of things uh that uh have been happening uh with this show i think um yeah and you know yeah i miss the guy i miss him too and not to overload it, I will just say one last thing on a, a more fun note. Also, just fucking stands the test of time, by the way, TMBS. You know, the, the thing about like doing internet programs or anything that's like online in this medium is that like you see so many commentators and they are just like, what way is the wind blowing today? That is like my perspective on the world. I mean, fuck, we talked about that with the IDW people, right? Atheism is rationalism is what is, oh, well, actually now we need to fill the God hole right and you see that and i'll you know be explicit like you see that all the time in progressive media progressive media is filled with people who say one thing um when it's convenient another thing when it's not and you know tmbs across the board was always very strong on you know being anti-imperialist um for not playing kind of games with centrism um and also for not buying into essentialism which is like the, the cultural moment that we all sort of went through um was like this height of you know what we would call essentialism um if you're being sloppy we'd call like hyper wokeism or something like that right and what what michael and, and what tmbs i think was able to do so well during that period of time 
was to be able to say like, hey, some of the kind of political, social aspects of what this is trying to create in terms of like, how are we interacting with one another on a daily basis? Is this helpful? Is this a good way to orient ourselves? And being able to criticize that without becoming a reactionary and saying, oh, you know, racism doesn't exist or like becoming like soft on trans rights or gay rights or anything like that, you know? And I think that's one thing that like I'm really happy about when you look back at TMBS is seeing what that discourse was like, seeing how cowardly a lot of people were and sort of talking about, I don't know, some of the excesses or some of the, the, the points that sort of weren't well thought through in the left movement, particularly like the online left movement, oh, without, without ever falling into the trap of becoming a reactionary, without ever falling into the trap of not being somebody who's actually fighting for social justice, actually fighting for liberation, actually or fighting being a cop. for empowerment or being a fucking cop or being a yeah. cop, right, which is on the other side. And like, you know, you can look at that and just really hang your hat up high um and you know there there's many moments um where you know you get a lot of pressure because people sort of want you to say a certain thing in a certain way and and michael just never did that he never backed off of of any of his positions he never became soft he never let that change him because another thing that you do see is some people who might criticize those things maybe even from a justified position they just become reactionaries eventually um they might not even start there but they oh they just get so worked up of dealing with people all the time right the criticism things like that never ever fucking happened and i just know i know for a fact that that would have continued all the way um through and just was very blessed and, and happy to work with that guy and showing a kind of model of how to be able to maybe like criticize some aspects of of the left without ever bending on the fundamental pr principles of of humanity of dignity of social justice that are what like unites us and that's like a a kind of touchstone that I always sort of try to revisit every once in a while when I when I do get pissed off at some of the weird things that that we see from folks. Yeah, but I think uh, to close us out, folks, Matt and I are going to go to the post game Patreon.com/slash Left Reckoning. We'll be taking some calls, questions. We got some good clips in there um, for all of y'all. I got a clip of Joe Rogan <laughs> that has me so goddamn pissed. Uh, so you're gonna want to. You're going to want to hear that. It's not the one of him with Stav uh, trying to get Stav to, to throw refugees under the bus, um, but it's about communism. And so we'll mm. talk about that. We'll be talking about that for sure. Um, but before we leave y'all, um, please join us in the post game, patreon.com slash left reckoning. Um, all the membership really does help us continue to do this program, keep all the stuff alive. We do have a clip here um, from TMBS that is uh, apt because it's about none other than. Sam Harris in this whole, whole cohort. And I was trying to find a clip um, that sort of captured a little bit of the behind the scenes uh, TMBS vibe here. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, back and forth here. Um, I don't talk as much in it as much as I would have liked, but I am wearing a big Texas University of Texas football t-shirt, which I feel like is <laughs> representative enough. Um, but please enjoy this and hope you all see us in the postgame patreon.com slash left reckoning. Man, if all of these people were on Twitter at the time, all of their feeds would literally just be slavery should end, but like Lincoln is divisive. Harriet Beecher Stowe is an SJW. Is Frederick Douglass secretly a Mohammedan? <laughs> that, would, that would be the whole fucking feed. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, I understand Frederick Douglass making a lot of the right noises, but I have a lot of concern about what it actually means when the Negro actually is in the main house. And I shouldn't be condemned for saying that. 
Civil War era Sam Harris. Oh man. <laughs> right. There's More definitely a guy t- that is just that. That literally existed back then that totally. was doing just that. Totally. And that's what they're doing. My ter- my my racial paranoia is perfectly justifiable right. along rational lines. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not understanding. They actually they no, no, no. They put the brain they they had people from Africa that they put in a zoo and they observed them for science. You can't argue with facts. I get that I get that slavery is bad, but on one hand, we have an escaped slave that <laughs> cut the throat of a young farmer girl. And what so, do you have to say about that? Yeah, so in other words, we need to take this seriously, okay? Nat Turner hurt a lot of people. People that were offering to give him water. Okay, so in other words, I no, no, I agree with you, slavery is wrong. But if we don't deal with the fact that Nat Turner led an uprising, then we're not being morally serious. Do you want another Haiti here? <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing, though. It's like, you know, so it's like, yeah, because the suffragettes, they all went down uh, the street. They were smoking cigarettes. And that was just, that was kind of cool, right? So what you're I saying saw that picture. is the suffragettes proved that everyone's just too consumed in <laughs> politics these days. <laughs> yeah, good takeaway. It's like, no, so Marion Williamson, so her whole point about the abolitionist movement was that people are too wrapped up in identity politics. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was just five minutes in. Too, so. Oh my God. He's so fucking stupid. <laughs> I didn't know we beat Finkelstein to the uh, Nat Turner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no way out of the, no way out of the game. <laughs> well, folks, appreciate all of y'all so much. I'm very happy to share this journey with all of y'all. That's Left Reckoning 148. Looking forward to the future and what's next. We'll see y'all over the post game. Patreon.com slash Left Reckoning and see you soon. Peace.